From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, no need to swap. Well, in general, um, at the Rotterdam Eye Hospital, we do not perform the swap anymore. First this. As Seen From Here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. We have many excellent therapies for glaucoma. More problematic is establishing diagnosis. Make the diagnosis too early, and we relegate the patient to years of expensive and unnecessary treatment. Too late, and the patient suffers irreparable visual field loss. That's why SWAP short wavelength automated perimetry is so relevant. SWAP promises detection of early visual field loss substantially before standard perimetry shows defects. But can SWAP live up to that promise? Josine van der Schout discusses this very question with us today. Why was short wavelength perimetry developed? Short wavelength automated perimetry, uh, in short, it is uh, SWAP. It was developed in uh, the late 80s of the last century. Um, What it does, it shows blue stimuli on a yellow background. That yellow background, it saturates the green and red cones, which are the medium and long wavelength cones, and it suppresses them. When a blue stimulus is uh, presented, only the short wavelength cones are stimulated. So when only measuring one pathway instead of all pathways, um, that last thing is done uh, in SAP, which is standard automatic perimetry, it's thought to show earlier defects. That's why SWAP has been developed. Have previous studies demonstrated an advantage to SWAP over SAP? Um, Yes, there have been. Um, There have been quite a few um, uh, studies already. Actually, they all have the the same conclusions, uh, which is that um, SWAP shows earlier glaucomatous defects than SAP. Um, Especially one specific study by Johnson and co-workers, they said that SWAP predicts conversion to glaucoma three to four years earlier than SAP. Are there disadvantages to SWAP, you know, prior to uh, your your current study? Um, Yes, there are. well, the first thing is that um, on the level uh, of the patient, it is quite time-consuming, so therefore it's more demanding for the patient. There have been some studies which shown that the uh, variability within and between subjects have been higher in SWAP than in SAP. And also there has been uh, shown that there is a greater to- long-term fluctuation in SWAP over SAP. So therefore there have been found some disadvantages to SWAP. Let me get you to describe the design of your study, Yusina. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, we have included 460 patients with an elevated in intraocular pressure into a long-term uh, follow-up study. And this study was set up for seven to 10 years. It depended on uh, the date of the study entry of the specific patients. Um, all patients needed to have an elevated intraocular pressure, which was defined um, by a pressure higher than 21 or lower than 33 uh, millimeters of mercury. And they needed to have a normal visual field. Um, all patients were tested with SAP and SWAP on um, the Humphrey Field Analyzer. Uh, which is um, designed by uh, Carl Zeiss Meditech. Both tests uh, used the full threshold strategy, and as soon as it became available, we used the CETA standard in SAP. Um, all patients were measured until the end or, of the study, or otherwise until um, they showed conversion on SAP. For the purposes of this study, what constituted a normal visual field and what constituted conversion to glaucoma? Okay. Conversion to glaucoma was defined as a reproducible defect on SAP on, of either one individual point below the 0.5% probability level or two cluster points below the 1% probability level or three cluster points below the 2% probability level or four cluster points below the 5% probability level. And this needed to be on either the total deviation or the pattern deviation plot. All these criteria for normal and abnormal visual fields were also used for swap. What were your findings? Yes, um, of the 416 included participants, uh, only 21 uh, showed conversion in SAP, and of these 21, um, three had it in both eyes, so 24 eyes converted. Um, of these 24 eyes, in only two eyes, swap showed earlier defects than SAP. Of the 22 eyes which showed conversion on SAP, in 15 cases, SAP showed these reproducible defects earlier than swap. In the other seven cases, SAP and SWAP showed defects simultaneously or um, SWAP visual fields were unavailable uh, at the date that SAP showed defects. Now, your findings contrast pretty well with those of prior studies that had shown earlier detection by SWAP. Did your study and these prior studies use the same SWAP and SAP protocols? Um, well, of course, no study is 100% the same as another study. Um, also, our study showed some method methodological differences when you compare it to the prior studies with this same purpose. Um, for instance, when you look at the criteria that we used for conversion, um, all prior studies use different, also different criteria for uh, when you speak of a defect in visual fields. Um, Rose and, and his co-workers looked at the prevalence of defects on SWAP using seven different criteria. It seems that there is a large variation in classifying a visual field as abnormal when using these different criteria. It is therefore hard to compare outcomes of studies when they are using different criteria. But on the other hand, we're all looking at the, the difference between defects on SWAP and SAP. So when uh, using criteria consistently in both strategies, I, I'd say that the differences between both outcomes shouldn't, be, shouldn't differ that much. 
What role did reproducibility play? Um, yeah, well, I mentioned it before already. Um, all defects on swap as well as SAP needed to be confirmed within a year. So uh, all defects needed to be reproducible at least once. How does the development of cataract interfere with swap and with SAP? And how might this be relevant? Um, well, cataract is usually uh, causing a generalized depression of sensitivity and then especially in swap. Therefore, if swap would show a defect, it would have been deepened by cataract. This would have led to an artifactually increased conversion rate in swap, more so than in SAP. Um, therefore, we think that cataract has not interfered with our results. What relevance does the development of CETA swap have? We weren't able to use uh, CETA swap because it has been released just recently. But the main difference between, between CETA swap and uh, full threshold swap is that, next to the fact that the testing time is shorter, is that uh, the normative database has been adjusted. And um, according to the manu manufacturers, um, the intertest variability has greatly been reduced because of this, and also it corrects more for cataract changes. Um, on the other hand, Bankson and Heil found an equal diagnostic sensitivity in CETA swap and full threshold swap. Um, so we do not expect substantial improvements in detecting early conversion of CETA swap over full threshold swap. But because CETA swap is rather new, the use of it in detecting glaucoma needs to be explored in future studies. What do you think accounts for the difference between your findings and those of previous studies? Yeah, well, um, as I told before, especially the criteria which, which are used to speak of a defect is, uh, of course, very uh, important. Another fact that might have led to a different outcome in our study compared to the prior ones is that we used the built-in normative database, which is designed by Carl Zeiss Manitech. Um, all prior authors use their own created normative database, and it might be that in our case, a systematic difference may, might have occurred between the built-in normative database and the study group. Um, therefore, this might have led to different results, but we do think that clinicians should be able to rely on the built-in normative database when using SWAP on a regular basis. Having made these findings, do you still perform SWAP in your own practice, Josina? Well, in general, um, at the Rotterdam Eye Hospital, we do not perform the SWAP anymore. Um, the main reason is the discomfort of the patients uh, combined, of course, with our own results, that defects in SWAP does not precede uh, defects in SAP. Of course, we must say that when in future studies it turns out that CETA swap um, does show glaucomatous defects before SAP, we of course shall reconsider the use of swap again. Josina, thank you very, very much. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, it's a good one. Josine van der Schraat comes to us from the Rotterdam Eye Hospital and the Rotterdam Ophthalmic Institute in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Her paper, The Ability of Short-Wavelength Automated Perimetry to Predict Conversion to Glaucoma, appears in the January 2010 issue of Ophthalmology. Music 
ask questions of Dr. Van der Schrott or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.